Hey everyone, this is Arnold Bjorn with Warm Welcome, a show where we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants. On today's episode, we're sitting down with Calvin, and Calvin is the chef de cuisine of Winsun Brooklyn, which is a Taiwanese American restaurant in Williamsburg.、Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to visit yet, and it was on the top of my list, and it still is. And unfortunately, before I could visit, the pandemic happened,、uh, and so. I'll have to wait another time to visit them in person, but it's it's a huge industry favorite. A lot of people around me have been talking about it, and so I、uh, didn't want to miss up the opportunity to speak with with Calvin here.、Um, and without further ado, this is my conversation with Calvin. We're gonna delve a little bit into being born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, going to school at Johnson and Wales for culinary arts,、uh, as well as his first few stints、uh, before he landed his current role at Winston. Um, I would love to talk first about where you grew up in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn.、Um, growing up with a predominantly like very female-oriented household as well, and kind of how that shaped you early on. I mean, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. I'd been there forever now in Bay Ridge, but yeah, my dad passed away when I was young, so I was mainly raised by mom, my sister, and like my dad's mom in the house. A lot of the people that I interviewed that are like you know immigrants and whatnot, or they were born here. Uh, and and if they have like memories of grandmas, it's usually connected with some sort of like home cooking, right? So,、mm-hmm. did you kind of coincidentally kind of、um, stumble upon cooking in the kitchen, kind of like that too? Yeah, I definitely spent a lot of time in the kitchen. That was like my favorite room to be in. Like I would on the weekends, me and my mom would have like long cooking projects. Like we would do like wontons, dumplings, bows. It would be like all day things, and then on weeknights I was in school and stuff, so I would just like hang out in the kitchen, do my homework, and just like observe, even if I wasn't really doing anything, just because that's what I enjoyed. But eventually, I ended up like I didn't want to eat Chinese food anymore. I was getting sick of it, just like having it every day, and I don't think I really got back into it till like recently, honestly. During the first part of that, when you did. Cook a lot, and perhaps there was a point where you actually enjoyed Chinese food. But what was your like favorite dish, or is there like a, a nostalgic dish that you, that comes to mind? Probably like minced pork patty, like over rice with like salted fish, steamed minced pork patty, just like comfort food, homey food stuff that you don't even really find in restaurants. Like very few restaurants serve things like that. My my curiosity is actually, I read that your first job was at fifteen. So what was what was your actual first job when you were thirteen? Because I also saw that you were like a taekwondo instructor and, and all that too. So my first job ever was a taekwondo instructor when I was thirteen because I've been training since I was young, and then、um, I, it was like a summer job. It was my first gig ever when I was like legally allowed to work. So I would like teach kids for a couple hours during the day, and then I would do my own training at night. So I'd be at the school for like. Eight hours a day, <laughs> just like in my uniform. Pretty serious. Pretty serious. Like taekwondo. Yeah, I was like super into it, and like my instructor, my master wanted me to like pursue it more. End up teaching and really going towards that route, but I don't know. End up falling in love with cooking, I guess. <laughs> Instead, the other job kind of、uh, going in line with you falling in love with was a, a you, you said sandwich artist, which I thought was was awesome. Is that what I put? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> on my LinkedIn, yeah, I mean, my LinkedIn is like the most unprofessional LinkedIn ever. Like, I'm not looking for a job in corporate, so I don't give a fuck what's on there. <laughs> But yeah, me and my friend, one of my first food related job was at a deli in Park Slope that my friend's、uh, family owned. They own two locations in Park Slope, like both a block apart. 
And then we would work there after school every single day. Like we would go and then we would send his dad home. So his dad would go home and we worked the night shift, I guess, like afternoon to night. And we would close the shop. But yeah, I would work the, the plancha, the grill, and we called ourselves like the deli technicians. When you got that job, was it for the sake of like having a job and making a little bit of money on the side? Is that how you kind of got into that? Yeah, I always loved working and having my own spending money. I never liked asking for things, but I loved working for it. Yeah. It was just like something to do. And it was fun. We were hanging out with our friends. Like we were just dealing with customers all the time. The customers were cool. That's where I really learned a lot about customer service, hospitality, cleanliness. And we just had fun making extravagant family meals off the planche and toaster ovens. Um, tell me about deli culture. Because I think that that like deli culture is so much a fabric of New York City, right? I mean, that's huge here. Like everyone has their go-to deli or bodega in their neighborhood. Like I have mine in every neighborhood that I'm like, when I was in working in the city, I had my deli. When I'm like at home, I have my certain deli. And like when I was younger, I used to go to this deli near my house, like a block away in between where my school was. And my guy, Sam would have my butter rolls ready to go for me every single morning. Like I would just go in, drop my 75 cents on the counter and bounce. And that was like my lunch. Like it's a huge part of life. It's just like convenient. Like my grandfather that I never met used to go to this deli. So his deli has been there forever. Now his kids run it and I'm cool with his kids. It's just been there forever. For those in hotel management and kind of the culinary art circle, such as myself, I mean, Johnson & Wells is a, is a fairly well-known program uh, for us in, in, in our little circle. It's the only school you apply to. Um, and, I, and I know that you're, you told your mom that it'd be like hospitality, uh, hotel management, which I personally can relate to a lot as well. So I would love to talk about that time. Yeah, I mean, it was the only school I applied to. So like, if I didn't go there, I was going to go to a trade school in the city, whether it was going to be ICE, ICE, or ICC. But um, my mom really wanted me to go get a college degree or stuff. So I knew CIA was out because I wanted to be in a city. Yeah. I knew that for a fact. And then after I checked out Johnson Wales and that Providence was pretty cool. It's like a small little town, city, whatever they want to call it. And I could easily do it for three, four years. So I ended up going there for culinary. I got my associates in culinary arts and then my bachelor's in uh, food service management. I did tell my mom I was going there for hotel management and hospitality. <laughs> when deep down, I knew I was pursuing culinary. Did you work at the deli your whole kind of time at high school or did you also work at a restaurant in between? I'm just kind of curious about that as well. Yeah, during high school. So we did the deli on the weekdays and on the weekends, the same friend that own these delis. We worked for like the staffing agency. It was like a temp, temp agency where they like front of house and back of house stuff. We like faked our resume like crazy to get this gig. <laughs> like we had no experience. <laughs> we had to like get tuxedos for this. It was like white gloves. We had to get like fucking crummers, wine keys. And we were like, we don't want to use any of this shit. The amount of glasses we broke from carrying football trays of glasses was insane. <laughs> We straight up had no idea what the fuck we were doing, but they ended up hiring us and we would, and we had cars too at the time. So we would like drive like Long Island, Hamptons, Connecticut, all the, like all different country clubs and hotels and just do all these events on the weekends. And then I like, well, I was like, yo, I could do back house shit. You want me to do like prep stuff? Cause that was like my way in. <laughs> so I did this whole front of house thing stuff first. And then, and like a bunch of times I just needed help in the kitchen. So I was like, yo, fuck it. I could 
pick these greens. Like I'll do it <laughs> just to like get in. I didn't want to break into more classes. <laughs> so that was like my way into like the back. Did you work anywhere during college though? Like, uh, like locally, like a local restaurant or anything like that? I worked at a couple of restaurants, but when I, when I left, I was the sous chef at RISD, which is, um, the art school right near Johnson Well. They had a catering department that did a lot of cool events that I ended up working for. And at some point you're probably like, all right, I gotta, I gotta come back home to New York city. Right. Yeah. I couldn't stay there anymore. <laughs> I was like, hey, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And there's a, there's a really good story about, um, going to career fair and then like uh, a dig in rep having like no one there. I, I, cause like, you know, at career fairs, it's always, it's always like the big names that have all those lines. Right. So I think, yeah, it's a John George's the Daniel Baloods, like right. everyone's flocking to these booths. star restaurants or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> So you, 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 uh, struck up a conversation with a dig in rep at the time. And I think at the time dig in had what, like three, four locations. It was very small. Yeah. It was super tiny. No, I think it was more than that. Cause I think when they first bought it, it was at least like seven or eight, I think. That's crazy. Of a different company, but now it's all over the place. Yeah. Well, talk to me about that kind of transition to dig in and, and moving back and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, we always, like everyone who worked at dig in, we always joked that how I was like the guinea pig of their sous chef position at the time. Because, like, I was their first fresh out of culinary school kid hire for that position because they were so small. And that was, like, their first career fair that they went to. And I just happened to strike up a conversation with, with them. Yeah. But sous chefs at the time were running the kitchens at each restaurant, like, each location. There weren't executive chefs. There weren't, like, CDCs at each spot. I reported directly to, like, the culinary director who oversaw all the locations. And we were just feeding an insane amount of people during lunch rushes. I was at the Flatiron location. It was like insanely busy. And so I would be there at like 6 a.m. every day to open the doors. So I would like wake up at four. Damn. Just to get, yeah, I would, I remember I would set my alarm five minutes before my train stop because I would sleep the whole way. <laughs> I would wake up, do my thing, get on the train, sleep, like set my alarm, sleep, and then get up like two stops before my stop. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> So I never saw sunlight during my time there. <laughs> I did that for like six months. And then I moved on to do R&D at their test kitchen in commissary in the Bronx. And what was like the, the menu development and testing process there like in, at, at Dig In? It was a super small team. I'm sure it's very different now, like extremely different. But there was like four of us <laughs> in like a tiny room. <laughs> But I was like the, one of the only ones who had the restaurant experience part of it. So it was like kind of helpful to see that aspect and kind of know what will work, what won't work based on the employees, the equipment and everything in the space. I mean, I know it was, it was fairly early on in, in, in that company's like um, history, but is there anything that you kind of like learned or took away from, from that role? Like throughout that, how long were you there? A little over a year. Did that like kind of like turn you off from restaurants at all whatsoever? Or did that kind of further um, get you curious about the industry? Definitely got me more curious, but it made me realize that I probably don't want to do fast and casual <laughs> is what it made me realize. Like I'm not shitting on them at all. I love digging. I eat there once a week still when I'm in yeah. the city. Yeah. Just because it's like convenient. It's good. It's healthy. It's affordable. The employees are just different. Like it's fast casual. You're going to attract a certain type of employee that just won't have the same goals and aspirations as like myself. So it's just hard being surrounded by that every day. 
Yeah. Especially after coming from a different job and coming from school and being surrounded by these people all the time. You know, for people that don't know, it's more or less a, a managerial role, you know? Yeah. So you were more or less managing, did they even call them like line cooks at this point? Like the people that are on the line? Yeah. Well, yeah, line cooks? Yeah. I mean, they um, were cooking, yeah. We were yeah. cranking. <laughs> <laughs> like lunch rush, I'm sure, was crazy. Yeah. But what was it like managing these people, right? Because you're like fresh out of college and now you're in like a managerial role. Like how did you handle that? Because like you said, a lot of these people that work there are probably more like entry level qualified, you know? Like a lot of them were beasts. I'm not shitting on like their skills or anything like that. They were very, very good workers. But definitely I was the youngest dude there, which is... And you're trying to like boss around everyone's older than you, which that wasn't even an issue. I feel like I was cool with everybody there. Like everyone respected the hierarchy and everything. As long as like I was down to work and do whatever it took, I was there all day long doing stuff. So that was never an issue for me. This is really funny, right? Because there's there's two things that I'm I'm kind of getting from our conversation so far. One of which is like you were sick of Chinese food. And then two, you're sick of fast casual. And then the next place you, you land actually <laughs> is Noma, Noma Nolita, which... Uh, yeah, from, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about that because that's, I mean, that's Chinese. I don't want to say fast casual. I, I, I mean, it's quick quick service, I guess, uh, whatever you yeah. want. But talk, but talk to me about how you landed there and, and, and what that concept is and all that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really want to do it, but... I was down to do it to get the experience and to help them out. So I agreed to help them out. I agreed to help Wilson do this for like six months, get it off the ground, get it rolling, and then bounce. But then I ended up staying there for, for two years. <laughs> but yeah, I hired pretty much a bunch of homies that I knew who would be able to get shit done. It was just super hard to like build a concept from scratch in a building with no gas. You know what I mean? And then it was just a crazy rewarding experience, like the whole two years. I mean, this is the first time that he's expanded the Noma Tea Parlor concept into a whole different level of service, right? And this is the first time he's like he's he's extended that that brand. So yeah, um, it was a risk on his part as well. It was like a risk all all around. Yeah, with time and money and like with the brand. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there were a lot of like growing pains for you. But did you? I'm sure you running this restaurant, you got to taste, obviously you cook a lot of Chinese food. So did you start kind of getting back in love, so to speak, for lack of a better word with, with Chinese food at this time? Yeah, definitely. It wasn't, I mean, I didn't, I feel like during my time with Wilson and being at Nolita made me want to pursue Chinese food again, just because it was like, it was like so close to Chinatown. It was like a block, even though it was Nolita, it was a block or two blocks away from Chinatown. Yeah, I would stroll and walk down Elizabeth, Mott Street, whatever, and just like get inspiration and ideas all the time. I mean, I discovered it's like I mean, I, when I was younger, my grandparents lived in Chinatown, so I would go there every single weekend. And then I guess as I got older, I never I went less frequently, and now it just forced me to go there every single day and let me discover spots that I used to go to or new spots. So it was just a fun time. Wilson is definitely a, a guy you want to know, especially if you are uh, Asian American, you're in New York city and you're kind of in the restaurant industry. Cause he, he knows so many people too. And he's, he's been doing, he's been a really good voice for, for our community. Um, but talk to me about the next spot, which is the spot you're at now at Winson. And, and I think this is since May, 2018, you've been there, you've been with uh, Trig, right? And Josh. 
Yeah, I joined over two years ago now. Yeah, it's been it's been a good time. Yeah. So talk to me about that. I know you're the CDC there. Um, and, and, and Winston is, it's, it's such a popular restaurant and it's such a industry friendly restaurant. I think a lot of people around me have been dying to go. It's, it's, it's actually notoriously hard to get in, <laughs> but talk to, talk to me about like, uh, the concept for those that don't know Winston, talk to me about the concept of cuisine and, and, and your role as a CDC at the restaurant. Yeah. Winston is a, Taiwanese American restaurant. I've been there for two years now at CDC and Trig was running services pretty much every night up until I joined. And he wasn't even looking to hire anyone when I was hitting him up. I just kept bugging him to let me trail. <laughs> I was like, after I left Nama, I took a couple months off. I don't know how long. It wasn't that long. I took a little bit of a break to kind of just trail and see where I wanted to end up next. I wasn't even like stuck on doing specifically Asian food or really stuck on doing, um, or being in a, like a higher position. I was down to be a line, have like a line spot. I really didn't guys want to be with a good group doing good food. I actually trailed with Jay who's podcast that you put up yesterday. Oh, no one. <laughs> yeah. No, I trailed with him at rice and gold when he was oh, there. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is funny. But yeah, everyone that I trailed with was just like, they thought something was up. They looked at my resume and they were just like, why the fuck is this guy looking for like line spots? They, like, they thought something was sketchy, something was up. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure all of them reached back out to Wilson and be like, yo, what's up with your guy? <laughs> but ended up landing the gig at Winston. Like after my trail with Trey at Winston, I, um, we, we both pretty much knew we wanted to work together. So we had to like figure something out. And basically me joining allowed him to like have more free time and focus on his next project, which was once on bakery that opened up last year. And during that time, the like little break between Namwa and Winsun, I had a trip planned to like Hong Kong and Taiwan. And they actually just sent, they sent my offer letter when I was in Taiwan. For Winsun, I mean, like I said before, it's, it's such an industry restaurant, but would you consider it to be uh, first of all, a neighborhood restaurant? And also, what is like your typical clientele at that restaurant? I think it's all of the above, honestly. I think it's industry. I think it's neighborhood. And I would even throw in destination for those who give a shit or care about new Asian American cuisine. Because a lot of people come through from the West Coast all the time. Definitely a younger crowd, but you could definitely bring your parents through. They'll have a good time as well. <laughs> Uh, but I want to talk about your role a little bit more because I think there's so many titles, right? Yeah. Chef, it gets like, confusing. Chef de Cuisine, like sous chef. And, and for people that are in the industry, I think by now we've kind of figured out that uh, brigade system and the hierarchy there. But for those tuning in, maybe if you, if you want to um, explain a little bit there in terms of like your structure at the restaurant, um, that, I think that'd be pretty helpful too. Yeah. So I feel like typically you have an executive chef, head chef, so that person would be trig. He's the chef owner and he basically stepped back a little bit so he could go pursue a different, a different project. And that's when you would hire a chef de cuisine to fill that role basically. And then you would have two chefs under you to help execute your visions and then line cooks under that and then prep cooks, dishwashers, et cetera. First of all, it's a Taiwanese restaurant, right? but you're Chinese and you have heritage in more like the Cantonese region, right? In China, like your family at least. 
So talk to me about how that works in the sense of cooking uh, a cuisine, perhaps that isn't really of your heritage and, and maybe how you can combine those two things. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the ingredients, the sauces, even the brands that we use at the restaurants are like products I grew up buying and using. They're all very similar in that way. Like even the technique, a lot of it's very, very similar. It's like things that like my mom does. So it was very easy for me to like adapt and adjust. What's usually like the R and D process over there at your restaurant? Like, do you guys get together and like, how often are you guys changing dishes and things like that? We don't change stuff that often. We kind of just stick to what we know is going to move. Like we do specials and stuff all the time, like for fun. They don't necessarily even move that well. It's things that people want what they like. (laughs) Like we would do like small little changes to certain dishes that we all agree that is better, but people just want what they're used to. <laughs> there's, a, there's a quote that I, that I read that I really like about kind of um, the intersection of flavor and value. I think that's a sick, like a really sick quote, the intersection of flavor and value. So it's a good, it's a good mantra, I think. So how, how does this play into maybe even like the vendors or suppliers you're selecting from? Because I'm sure that kind of plays into the ecosystem of your restaurant. Yeah, I mean, I live by like kitschy sayings and models and slogans. I love that shit. I'm like a basic bitch when it comes to that. (laughs) But like the intersection of flavor and value is like super important to me when I dine out. It's something like Trig mentioned one time. I was like, oh shit, it's a good way to look at it or like how to like rate a spot. Basically, you could fork out a whole bunch of money and have a great meal, I'm sure. But it's like when you don't have to do that and have a great time and experience in food is when it like really matters, I think. So we try to do that at Winsun. And when it comes to like suppliers and stuff, I feel like our sous chef Ed is always trying to find the best deals and trying to get the best prices, which is great. And Trig also has like personal connections with a lot of our vendors that allow us to get crazy good prices on things, which in turn gives our customers better prices, even though our food costs are still good. So that's how we like balance it all out. It's hard. It's not something everyone can do while still giving good product. It's, that's hard. I do want to talk about the current times. I think it's, it's, it's definitely like it's unprecedented, obviously, like what we're going through with coronavirus. But for you, I would love to talk about yourself personally, how you were affected by it, and maybe your outlook on the current situation as well. Yeah, I think it's affected everyone in the industry. Um, it's been the longest. I haven't stepped foot in professional kitchen since I started. And Winston is doing takeout right now with a super small team but I'm at my girlfriend's in Boston at the moment. But for the first eight weeks, I was with my mom and my eight month old um, nephew a lot in Brooklyn. So I've decided it was best to not work and not risk anything and keep them safe if, if I could. So I've taken like a lot of this time to really cook and dive into Cantonese food a lot more, whether it's like learning things from my mom or doing my own research and just finally reading up on like the 80 books that I bought throughout the last three years that I haven't touched, (laughs) but it's been a hard time, but I'm trying to look at it with like a positive outlook and just really practice and honing in on like some skills and some dishes that I've been wanting to work on. Like, it sounds crazy, but it's like the most I've cooked in a while because when I'm working, you don't really get a chance to cook and work on things that you want to do. But now it's like you have all this time to really work on all these projects. Yeah. I feel like as a CDC, it's more like 
you're expediting more than really cooking yourself, right? Like you're, you're managing your kitchen more than you're actually cooking. So yeah, exactly. I mean, one sense is super small team. So we're all, I'm we're like, all cooking, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, still, I'm not cooking the things that I've been wanting to work on. What are the, you mentioned books. Are these, are these like cookbooks or? Yeah. I like went on Amazon when they just bought a whole bunch of used cookbooks from like the eighties that they don't even print anymore. And they, I, I don't like use shit, but I had no choices. They don't print them anymore. Yeah. What are some like good finds? What, what, what's been your like favorite cookbook so far? I got like Grace Young cookbooks, a lot of um, Eileen cookbooks and just like really, really dinky ones that are so poorly written, but you get so many ideas out of them. <laughs> just like falling apart. Um, how can listeners and, and, and people that are listening, how can they help support uh, Winsun as a restaurant and maybe even you and, and, and the staff there? You definitely would take out right now if you're, if you're around and can do that. But there is an employee Venmo fund and there's also a GoFundMe that the team is using to donate meals to medical workers once a week. It's all on the Instagram. All on the Instagram. Yeah, all on the bio. Link in the bio. Link in bio. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks for being on the show, Calvin. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Calvin, thanks again for, for being on the show. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. And as Calvin's mentioned, Winston is currently open for delivery and takeout through caviar so i would definitely give them a a big consideration if you're looking for something new especially if you live in brooklyn that's it for today and we'll see you next week on with warm welcome